Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth and John Eads taking you all the way up to 10 o'clock. Remember to check out our stuff, orangefizz.net, also at orangefizz on Twitter. We've got a jam-packed show today. Syracuse plays Virginia Tech in almost three and a half hours. We'll be breaking down everything the Hokies have or don't have to offer, if we're being completely honest. There's not a lot left on that football team. Tommy DeVito is in the transfer portal. We'll tell you where he's going and why in a bit. And also, Big news in the basketball world, two Syracuse commits, and also a whole lot of preseason projections out there. But John, let's take it back to the gridiron because we know we're still in fall and that's your your time of the year. So, Syracuse football, after three really tough games, a chance to make it right. Yeah, this is a game that Syracuse just simply has to have, uh, not just because the Orange want to make a bowl game, but because if I think if SU loses this one, it'd be... The fourth in a row. I, I assume it'll be close. I don't see Syracuse getting blown out. Just got to think about how demoralizing that would be for the team and everybody in the locker room. So I think Coach Babers and the rest of his team really needs to have this win. And I think if SU does win this game, it's really going to shake things up in the Virginia Tech program on the other side. Justin Fuente is leading a sinking ship. It's definitely a hokey program on a downslide. They had a chance for their third losing season in four years after Frank Beamer led them to a bajillion straight bowl games. Fuente does not seem like a coach that inspires well. He does not seem like a coach that has a good hold over his program. And you could say those same things about Dino Babers, but at the end of the day, it seems like the players are invested in what Dino's selling them. On the other side, Fuente had the, like, I don't even know if he talks to the players after the games because he just takes responsibility for everything. Yeah, and I mean, coaches should do that. You know, it's kind of just coach speak. But yeah, I'm with you there. Babers and and, uh, and Fuente have both been pretty underwhelming at their respective locations. They're pretty similar. Like, Fuente's 38-26, and 26, and of course, he's in his sixth season right now, and Babers on the other side. He has a losing record in his sixth season, so Syracuse fans would love to have that 38-26 and 26 record. That would be good here. But the, like you said before, the expectation at Virginia Tech is just different. When he came to Virginia Tech in 2015 from Memphis, they, number one, hadn't missed a bowl game since 1993, and number two, hadn't had a losing season since 1992. Well, last year they missed a bowl game. They haven't won a bowl game since 2016, and at 3-3 three and three right now, you kind of alluded to this, Virginia Tech is dangerously close to having its third straight losing season, not third straight, third losing season out of the last four, which in itself is just abysmal at a place like Virginia Tech where Frank Beamer was a legend and led this program to some pretty high levels. We talk about the expectations. On the Syracuse side, I I don't want to sell things short, but at the same time, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Six wins in Syracuse will keep your job. Making a bowl game with this program where you're usually at the bottom of the ACC, you're at a recruiting disadvantage to a lot of other places, Six wins is good enough, and Dino Babers is struggling to get there right now because of his own his own decisions. His own I, he's digging himself a hole. That there's no other way to put it because this team is playing well enough to win close football games, and for whatever reason, Dino Babers is screwing them out of it. 
it's a little unfortunate. He's done a great job in building this roster and having it, in a, having it in a position where it could compete with pretty much every single team in the ACC. I don't think there's a team in the conference this year where if SU lined up with them, 11 for 11 on both sides of the football, I think SU would match up just fine. So that's a testament to how well he's recruited and gotten this team back from what was just a terrible 2020 1-10 season. Now he's got to clean up those little things, and you know he obviously didn't pass that test in the first half of the season, maybe down the stretch here, those things will clean up. But my thing is, how about you don't even put yourself in a position to have to make a coaching mistake? How about you just win the game outright and just let the football decide the outcome? Well, hopefully Syracuse can do something like that against Virginia Tech because the Hokies were shellacked last week against Pitt. They, they were losing by three scores at halftime. The final was 28-7. to um, at no point in time did Virginia Tech look like a competent football team against Pat Narduzzi's defense, uh, which is which is still very good, although they don't have as many household names as last year. But that's that's all by the wayside. We can talk about Pitt once we get there. Thanks. They'll become household names once this team beats Clemson and continues to mark its trajectory towards the ACC. Well, there's there's a take, but at the yeah. same time, I can't disagree with you after what we saw from Clemson last week. Right. But sort of refocusing to Virginia Tech. Reasons this team is bad, and we we had the conversation about Florida State being bad at football um, a couple weeks ago, and I think Virginia Tech sort of warrants this same this same sort of I guess just underlying factors of being a bad football team. The play calling is bad. It is so vanilla. At the beginning of the year against North Carolina, Virginia Tech came out and ran motions. They had design quarterback runs. There were some fake quarterback draw pop passes. There was a lot of different things going on, but Virginia Tech lost its number one tight end, James Mitchell, in week two, and all of that fancy play calling seems to have fallen by the wayside because Braxton Burmeister, as a quarterback, is limited in what he can do. He's kind of like Garrett Schrader, where the, where the legs are his number one asset and the arm does not follow up. I think the thing with Burmeister is he's not getting a lot of help as well, though. He does have the legs. At ACC Media Days, Fuente said he's probably the fastest player on the team, one of the most explosive athletes on the team. And yeah, that's true, but the problem is he's running the ball too much. He's leading the team in rushing because Raheem Blackshear, VT's starting running back, he's a transfer from Rutgers, is really just not picking up his end of the deal. He's averaging 3.7 yards per carry. Jalen Holston, another back, is under 200 yards. Sean Tucker gets that in one game, I will add. He's at 3.8 yards per carry. So Burmeister's really having to shoulder that load. And like you said about James Mitchell, just think about the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. If they didn't have Darren Waller, what would that offense look like? That's pretty much what's happening at Virginia Tech right now. So, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they're the 13th best offense in the ACC. Or, I mean, worst offense. I mean, it's bad offense. But on the other side, there is a little bit of life on the defensive side. So they're not as bad as Florida State. But offensively, it's just abysmal, like you said. On the defensive side, the secondary is pretty darn good. Uh, this guy named Nasir People, who is replacing Divine Diablo, uh, very nice, very cool name. Speaking of the Raiders, that's where he is right now. But Nasir Peoples leads the team in tackles uh, with 50 at 7th or 8th best in the ACC. And overall, the, the cornerbacks and safeties are keeping this defense afloat. Second best pass defense in the ACC, only behind Syracuse. Go figure. So overall, I'm not really worried about the secondary, though, because... Is Garrett Schreiter going to come out and throw the ball 35 times? Is Syracuse's offensive attack predicated on throwing the ball? No. 
It, it does not really matter how good Virginia Tech's secondary is because Garrett Trader can run over them. Just to tie the loose end on the passing because, yeah, like you said, there's no passing game, so there's really no sense in talking about it much. He did, he did have to throw the ball 37 times against Clemson, which is just way too much. He should be getting 37 carries. Yeah, Virginia Tech doesn't have those five-star no. athletes, though. There's Amari yeah. Barno, right. and other than that, there's nobody special on the D-line. In the secondary, there is one hinge player that is questionable. Jermaine Waller, probably the best corner in the country. Definitely the ACC, one of the best corners in the country, I'll say. So he may or may not play. So that's something to keep an eye on. If he doesn't play, I think well that'll definitely help Syracuse out at least a little bit on the outside, maybe to get the passing game going. But uh, moving up to the box because that's really where we're gonna that's where the game is gonna be decided. You mentioned Amari Barno. He's not. He's an edge. He's an edge rusher, edge defender. Um, he's big. He's long. He's strong. He's six foot six, two hundred forty-five pounds, and he's a good player. He's got high motor, high energy, and he never gives up on a play. But I don't know if anyone's watched any Michigan football this year. Uh, they've seen Aiden Hutchinson, one of the best defensive ends in the country. He's not a game breaker. He's not going to beat you or destroy plays with his athletic ability. So he's someone that I think Syracuse can match up with just fine. But you might have to change up how you're blocking, maybe keep a running back in to chip him or keep a tight end in to chip him. Dax Holfield is the guy you need to know. He's the middle of this defense. He's the leader of the defense, kind of like uh, VT's version of Mikael Jones. He makes a lot of tackles. He gets in the backfield. I think he's the team leader in sacks, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he is. Three sacks. So he's a guy that's going to be flying all over the field. And uh, kind of like <clears throat> you saw with James Skalski last week, he's probably going to be the guy that's spying and always keeping a, keeping an eye on Garrett Schrader out of the backfield. I think Cody Roscoe beat three sacks in about 15 minutes of game action. But well, he's you know he's a DN. That Holfield's yeah. a linebacker. It's Regardless, though, that kind of underscores our point. Virginia Tech doesn't have much of a pass rush when it comes down to it. Not really. And let's get to the lines real quick because I think this is a pretty easy pick for both of us, John. You're still up a point, um, if I do remember correctly. Because we both took Syracuse and we both took the under. Um, neither of us were very surprised. So, right now, the Orange are a three-point dog. And the total is 46 on Action Network. The Orange also getting a plus 135 money line. They just had to go with the three. It couldn't be three and a half. It's, that's, that's kind of annoying. Um, I'm, I'm taking this, and I'm taking money line, honestly. If I'm putting money on this, I'm putting it on Syracuse. The odds are so good, and it's pretty much a pick 'em. And SU is one of the best, if not the best, team against the spread this year in college football. So give There's me six Syracuse. And one. Six, yeah, six and one against the spread. I think that's the best. Uh, give me Syracuse twenty-three to twenty. I think it's it's not going to be very fun to watch. Neither offense is insanely good. There's not a lot of star power on either side. Both defenses are pretty good though. So. They'll, uh, they'll play well, but I think at the end of the day, it's SU doing just enough to win offensively. Andre Schmidt will hit a field goal. As long as it's inside 40 yards, he's going to hit a field goal. Uh, I'm finding some wood uh, knock on right now, sir. Yeah, knock it. All right. There we get, go. Get we're good. There we're we good. Go. Uh, and take the under. I think in pretty much every Syracuse game this year, you can bet that the under is going to hit. So take the under. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly with you, man. I, I hate to not be the contrarian here, but at this point in time, the smart money has to be on Syracuse after what Virginia Tech put on the field last week. And I'm taking the under. 46 points. That means both teams have to get to at least 23. And uh, after... after, Sorry to jump in. Go ahead, go ahead. Tech's averaging 21 points. Syracuse is averaging 29. But that number's still inflated from UAlbany. Yeah. yeah. And after what we saw against Clemson last week, Syracuse is not going to do anything in the range of going over 25, I would say, for the rest of ACC play. Unless the Louisville game turns out to be a a 40-30. 35 game 
But regardless, I have Syracuse winning 20-13 to because they have two things. They have shutdown corners, and we know they're going to play. And Braxton Burmeister's literally whole passing game is relying on five-yard out routes, which Syracuse can diagnose quickly. And they also have Sean Tucker. Virginia Tech has nothing that compares to the AP midseason All-American, and that is what makes the difference. One thing I will toss in is that Syracuse hasn't really faced a quarterback like Burmeister with his running ability. Yeah, uh, DJ Malik last Willis? Week. Malik Willis and Jordan That's Travis true. both can That's do true. what Burmeister can do. And I'd say Willis has a better arm. And Travis, honest, I mean, the whole unpredictability factor should not really have come into play there. But but still, I don't think Burmeister is better than Malik Willis. I don't not think he's a, better than Jordan Travis. I'm just saying he's like a 4-3-4-4-40 kind of guy. He's faster than both of those players. So Syracuse okay, that's fair. needs to – it's kind of like Adrian Martinez in Nebraska. If there's nobody there to account for him, and even like Schrader, he's gone. So mm-hmm. don't let that happen. That's going to be the only way Virginia Tech gets going. All right, we both are taking Syracuse money line, and we are also taking the unders. Jeed's got the orange 23-20. I've got them 20-13. Either way, we're both predicting a rock fight down in Blacksburg in a couple hours. But there's more to discuss with Syracuse football because Garrett Schrader's QB1, QB2, is now in the portal. We'll talk about Tommy DeVito and his future. After the break, you're listening to Fizz Radio. We're back, Fizz Radio on the score, 1260, Ian Unsworth and John Eads taking you all the way up until 10 o'clock. Remember to check our stuff out, orangefizz.net, at orangefizz on Twitter as well. And John, right after the Clemson game, Tommy DeVito's time as a Syracuse football player came to an end. A long and very confusing time for the man from New Jersey, a former four-star quarterback, Dino Babers' prized recruit. And I hate to say it, but the word that defines Tommy DeVito's time at Syracuse is stagnancy. He did not improve in his four years here, and that that is why he's now in the transfer portal. Well, he didn't improve. His style improved as the years went by, but that doesn't matter at all, and like you said, just never really showed signs of being the four-star recruit, the Elite 11 finalist that he was being hyped up to be, the future of Syracuse football that he was being hyped up to be. Had a solid 2019 season from a quarterback statistical standpoint, but Syracuse went 5-7. and seven. 2020, he gets injured, doesn't play for pretty much all of the season, comes back this year. You know, everyone's asking, is this finally the year that DeVito puts it together? Is this finally the year that Syracuse can break through, get back to a bowl game, win a bowl game, and look like they belong in the ACC? Well, you go through the first three weeks, and the answer might be yes, but then you get to Liberty, and Schrader's starting, and it's no. So this doesn't surprise me at all. He is still a good quarterback. He could still play at another Power 5 school. He could have played for Syracuse this year if he wanted to win three games, but that's just not what Dino Babers wants to do because, well, you got to keep paying the bills, and he has to get a contract extension and prove that he still needs to be here. So he goes with Garrett Schrader, so Tommy DeVito's out the door. doesn't really surprise me that it's happening. Um, the, the timing's a little interesting. We can get into that. But like I said, uh, and like you said, not a very notable Syracuse career. He was here. That's a fact. That's pretty much it. That's the end of the story. I think there are a couple different aspects um, I want to uh, approach this from. First and foremost, let's start with the beginning of Tommy DeVito's time in Syracuse. He backs up Eric Dungy um, on the way to... 10-win season, bowl game win, and everybody is sold on him. 
right? In, in his few snaps as a backup quarterback, he looks good. He pooch punts. He does all the small things. He hands the ball off, yada, yada, yada. But everybody's in. And 2019 comes, and yes, the, the first game against Liberty doesn't look great, but it's a win. It's a shutout win. And Syracuse goes to Maryland and gets the doors blown off. They still scored, but Maryland scored so much more, and the offense could not keep up. And from there, it spiraled downhill so quickly. DeVito, I think, got caught up a bit in the whole 2018 season. 2019 came. He was expecting Syracuse to continue that run of form. I think a lot of fans in the 315 were as well, and people got caught off guard. That 2018 was special, and the 2019 team was not. Whether it was because of DeVito's lack of leadership, lack of running skills, or otherwise, I just don't think he was ready for that kind of fall-off. No, I mean, it's easy to look good when you're throwing the ball to Jamal Custis, and you got Dante Strickland in your offense, and an actual potent offensive line. And while he learned the hard way, and Syracuse fans alike learned the hard way, that that 2018 team was special, and it was not to be replicated in 2019 or 2020, and maybe not even this year. But I think it's it's just a philosophy fit, or lack thereof. DeVito was never a fit for Babers' offense, and he just never really emerged into that vocal leader that you need from a quarterback position. And that might be because he was always on the sideline and he was always injured, but... I don't know. He just he, he never really came across to me as a guy that was all in on Syracuse, wanted to win, and was going to do whatever it takes to get the wins. Talk about leadership, and I guess this is one thing that's always going to stick with me about Tommy DeVito, and it's not necessarily about Tommy DeVito, which is strange within itself, but last year, Taj Harris flips the bird at the camera. Right, and this this is obviously a Taj Harris problem, and I'll get to I'll get to the point, the current point, and how this connects in a sec. But Taj Harris flips the bird at the camera. Obviously, it's on camera. But who's sitting right next to him at that time? It's Tommy DeVito. Not dressed. Not dressed in uniform, but in street clothes. And your number one wide receiver, who is supposed to be stepping up as a leader this year, and he, he was at ACC Media Days as a pretty as pretty much a team captain. If you go to those, you're Seen as a team leader. Yeah, and this right. happened. In the the bird happened in twenty twenty. So that was before ACC Media Day. But still, right. um, like you can't have something like that happen, especially not from your starting wide receiver, your number one guy at the time, who's sitting right next to your starting quarterback. Who, which one of those guys has the cooler head, the the presence of mind to tell the other one to figure it out? Neither of them. And so this year, once. Taj Harris entered the portal, it made a lot of sense that DeVito would do the same. And I think we both saw him stick it out. He said that that whole Jalen Hurts thing, that was a load of that, man. This is not Alabama. Tommy DeVito was not squatting 600 pounds as a high school senior. You're you're not special like Jalen Hurts is special, Tommy. Um, And that's your unbiased opinion as an Eagles fan? uh, uh, No. I talked to Jalen Hurts' dad early on about Demontre Tuggle before the Ohio game, and he he went out of his way to not talk about Jalen Hurts. And it seemed like Tommy DeVito, on the other hand, went out of his way to make things about Tommy DeVito. We, we saw the comments from his trainer that 
after not playing in the Clemson game when Syracuse really struggled to move the ball, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think the Clemson game was the time where if you were going to see a a reemergence of DeVito, it would have been there because of the way Garrett Schrader played. He was not running the football well. The offense was playing terrible. Kind of a separate soapbox. But what I'm getting at here is that would have been the time for Babers to go back with DeVito. By him not playing the New Jersey native, that kind of, like you said, was the last straw for him. So he's out the door now. And yeah, like you were saying with the Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa situation, the thing with Jalen Hurts is that he could have played it any other, 129 of the other Division One football programs. And then he went and tore it up at Oklahoma for you. Exactly. DeVito is not the same case. He's a guy that is probably going to be a flyer in, when he's getting looks at other Power 5 schools this offseason. He's just, like we talked about earlier, never really done anything. And uh, I do think it's a smart decision on his part, though, to get going. Maybe a little bit too late, honestly. One last word on the whole Jalen Hurts thing. Ian Unsworth, Johnny's with you on Fizz Radio, talking about uh, Tommy DeVito and some wild comparison he made to an Alabama quarterback situation a few years ago. It, Jalen Hurts re-entered the SEC championship game because Tua got hurt. That is why Jalen Hurts went back in the game. Nick Saban, um, the wise old sage that he is, did not pull Tua. And honestly, when it comes to that Clemson game, I have no problem with Dino Babers leaving Schrader in. He's carried your team for this far. And for a second... Schrader almost had that team in a position to win the football game. I mean, I'd, I'm sorry, but I don't think DeVito is, you know, strapping it up and throwing that ball to Trevor Pena down the seam. We just did not see that at all. So, at a certain point, do you have the moxie to go in there and win a football game? Garrett Schrader, uh, despite his limitations, despite his ceiling, which it's it's very obvious that it's there, and we all know that it's there. It does not take a... It, you don't need Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper or any other analyst to come in and tell you that Garrett Schrader struggles to throw the football. But when you need it, Garrett Schrader is going to grit his teeth and win a freaking game for you. And Tommy DeVito never had that. When the going got tough, Tommy DeVito did not get going. His knees started to quake in the pocket. Yeah. He was a scared rabbit. Kind of paint a picture. Last week, you were there. Wake Forest, Syracuse, Garrett Schrader on that final drive of the game where he threw the touchdown pass to Sean Tucker was putting his body on the line to pick up those first downs. And that's why he carried the ball 30 times. That's more than he's ever done that in his career, all to win that football game against the Demon Deacons. And unfortunately, he came up short. But it was a valiant effort. Never saw that from DeVito in in any game. Now, Syracuse wasn't really close in an ACC game like that to begin with, but still, you never really saw that, I'm going to put my body on the line, I'm going to give 100% so Syracuse can win this football game. You saw him on the sidelines, on the ground, writhing in pain at Pittsburgh, North Carolina, name a school, it happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a great point. I think Schrader has that it mentality, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to win football games, and that's what Dino Babers needs this year because, well, he needs to win football games. Let's hit this from another angle. Sterling Gilbert and the struggle that is offensive play calling for the Orange. We you, you mentioned it earlier. DeVito was never really a fit in the Dino Babers system. And Dino Babers, for all intensive purposes, had to make everybody believe that Tommy DeVito was a fit. But when Sterling Gilbert last year pulls out the play calling sheet and tries to draw up something for DeVito on third down... It'd be third and four, and he's throwing four verticals. 
The receivers are running down the field. Mm-hmm. And yes, DeVito has the arm strength to make those throws, but he, they were not properly utilizing his skill set, or lack thereof, being completely honest. Gilbert is figuring out how to use Schrader's skill set because they're both simple. Schrader can't make excellent reads. He's not going to break down a whole coverage pre-snap. You split the field in half. You say, give it to Tucker or keep it, or throw it to the slant. Right? That That is that is pretty much the Garrett Schrader playbook. And every once in a while, there's a deep shot mixed in. With DeVito, they had to do so many things for him because he wasn't a running threat. And that's partially not on him, but Sterling Gilbert's just not capable of doing those things as an offensive coordinator. And Syracuse as a team, talent-wise, is not capable of doing those things. No, I think you need to be a dual-threat quarterback to play in the Dino Babers system, especially in today's day and age. I mean, you, you take a look at what the Syracuse offense is right now. It's Sean Tucker, it's Garrett Schrader, and that's pretty much it. There is no passing game outside of the hash marks. I mean, you got the occasional slant route over the middle, but... You know, then again, the, the old uh, huck it to Damian Alford and pray. Right. Well, that's just not potent, sustainable offense, obviously. So, yeah, I think it's important to play devil's advocate a little bit when talking about DeVito and how bad the offensive line was, one of the worst in uh, in the FBS and Division One football. Lack of skill position talent once Custis and all those guys from the 2018 team left. I mean, you had Tristan Jackson, you had Mo Neal, Sean Riley, but you didn't really have the guys that he had in 18 when he looked good and the flashes that he came in and he played. And then, you know, on top of that, the the play calling as well. I actually had an offensive coordinator switch. Uh, Mike Lynch was fired, the offensive coordinator from that 2018 season. And Sterling Gilbert comes in, a guy who I still don't understand what purpose he serves here. He he is Uh, New Jack. I'd be curious to know who actually does the play calling between Gilbert and Babers. Because every time you tune into a Syracuse football game, usually any football game, they'll usually show the offensive coordinator in the booth or something. Never seen him. Never. So I don't really know what role he plays here. My opinion, I think Dave, I think Baber should go and hire a new offensive coordinator. Um, all of that to say, yes, important to look at the other side of this argument. And I think DeVito, getting back to DeVito, I think he will find a new home. I think a change of scenery will be good. And if it's the right system in the right place, he could flourish. The right system for DeVito seems to be a heavy passing attack, whether that's an air raid, a run and shoot, uh, even like a West Coast sort of thing. Whatever Babers has, and I, don't, I honestly don't really know how to describe it because it's nothing tangible, really, year after year. But whatever Dino had, it just wasn't for DeVito. So, in terms of places where Tommy DeVito could go next year, I think I'm going to give you three options, and then, Jeeds, you can chime in with three as well. Mississippi State. How ironic would it be that Schrader comes and DeVito goes to the Bulldogs? I, know. Uh, I, don't, I don't think DeVito's an air raid quarterback. I don't man. think he is, lie. but I think, as I mentioned earlier with Taj Harris, Taj Harris is getting Power 5 SEC offers, as he should. And, and you never know. DeVito might want to follow Harris there just for some sense of familiarity. Um, I mean, that's really the only reason I think he goes to Mississippi State, because I'm sure they probably have other quarterbacks there that are more equipped to play that system. Secondly, Arizona. Because how fitting would it be to see DeVito go from one pretty pretty bad Power 5 program to what is possibly the worst Power 5 program in the NCAA in Arizona? The weather is nice there, and really nothing else is. Finally, Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is going to lose its starting quarterback, Tanner Morgan, after this season. Uh, usually they have at least one guy that's pretty passable on the outside, 
and uh, they like to throw it. They love to throw it. So I think DeVito ends up in Minnesota, honestly, if I had to pick a school. I got three more, and we did a little bit of deep digging into some of his Twitter follows, director of scouting personnel and whatnot. So that's kind of where we're getting these hypotheses from. But we probably would have come up with some of these schools anyways, just based on uh, you know position of need and, and location and stuff. So I think, first of all, you got to throw Rutgers in the discussion. He's obviously a New Jersey hometown, guy. Hometown. Noah Vegerl is the quarterback there now. He's not exactly special. You got Gavin Wimsett, a young up-and-comer, kind of seen as the future of that program. But maybe he's not ready. So DeVito's a one-and-done guy, as we kind of discussed. Maybe he's that... Um, carryover quarterback or whatever the term is there. So Rutgers is in the discussion. The I think stopgap. I think Kansas is another one. Uh, another bottom feeder. Yeah, another bottom feeder, but a place where he could go and be the starting quarterback day one. They need a quarterback. Uh, and it's an improve. It's not a good program, but it's an improving program under a new head coach, Lance Leipold from Buffalo, actually. So it'll be his second year there. So perhaps he gives them a look. And then finally, there were a couple of teams. I'm trying to think of maybe one that was potent. You had San Diego State. You had Kansas State. Uh, West Virginia is another one uh, I think could be an option as well. The quarterback they have there um, is a transfer from Bowling Green. He's not doing a great job. They need a quarterback pretty nearby, still East Coast. The thing with the guy who's transferring, entering the portal at this stage, they don't really care where they're going to go, how far away it is, what the glamour of the program is. They just want to play, and they want to get developed. So West Virginia, Kansas, Rutgers, my three to look out for. Definitely could see him in the Big 12 just because he needs the numbers. True. And there will be plenty of wide-open opportunities or at least wide-open games for him to air it out. But that is us putting a bow on Tommy DeVito's um, four-year career at Syracuse. Nothing spectacular, but certainly something that is going to stick with SU fans when it comes to Dino Babers and plenty of other things for a long time coming. That's going to do it for football talk, but after the break... Basketball season's around the corner. The Orange have some new blood coming to the program in 2022, and the 2021 preseason rankings are out. We're talking hoops after the break on Fizz Radio. We're back. It's Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Ian Unsworth, John Eads with you until 10 o'clock. And we talked a lot about football, but it's time to make our way over to the basketball court where Syracuse picked up two big commitments in the class of 2022. Earlier in the week, it was Malik Brown, the three-star forward from Virginia. And on Thursday, Chris Bunch made a pledge to the Orange, the 72nd best prospect, according to 24-7 Sports, in the class of 2022. He goes to Wasatch Academy in Utah. Two forwards, John, but two very different prospects who can add to this class in different ways. Yeah, Chris Bunch is kind of your three-level score, very talented player who can make contributions on both the offensive and defensive end. As for Malik Brown, another guy who's very tall, long, and rangy, but he has more of the defensive specialist kind of skill, and he also plays with a chip on his shoulder. So two huge pickups for Syracuse, really closing out the class in a big way. And first commitment since late September when Peter Carey uh, pledged to the Orange. So after losing Kamari Lands, after losing Dior Johnson, I think SU's responded in a very big way, bringing these two guys in. And I think Bunch is kind of that cherry on top of the vanilla sundae, if you will. Dior Johnson feels like it's ancient history now for Syracuse because that this class has moved in a whole new direction. There's no more talk of the Zion Cruises or all those guys that Dior was promising to bring in. And now you've got a class that feels organic. It doesn't feel... Like it was forced, there's not a lot of media buzz, controversy, right or left. Everyone knows now that Jim Beheim 
went out in the recruiting world and picked out his guys and got them. He got Justin Taylor over hometown Virginia. Chris Bunch over, he got him over Mike Hopkins, Rutgers, and Washington. These guys that Bayheim's picked out, sure, Brown and Carey are kind of the diamonds in the rough, I would say, of this class. Guys that we might have to see a bit more development from before they really realize their potential in college. But I really like what Jim Bayheim's done. He's got a whole starting five, first of all, and they all fit in the 2-3 zone and the system. Yeah, as far as Malik Brown goes, you really can't teach athleticism. He's six foot nine, two hundred ten pounds, and those numbers might even be different, honestly, because two four seven doesn't update their database that much. So he might have even more pounds or even less pounds uh, on his frame. So he comes in. All you really need to do is teach him the system, let him learn, let him develop, let him grow. I think he'll be uh, maybe he'll start making an impact in his second year, probably redshirt in his first season. And Chris Bunch, I think he can come in and be an immediate impact kind of player. And Jim Beheim did a tremendous job on the recruiting trail, letting him know that he was the priority at the forward position. He was the guy that Syracuse wanted. They were all in on him. They were at the casino putting all the chips in the middle of the table on Chris Bunch. And SU cashed out with the commitment. We can You can check out all recruiting coverage on the site at orangefizz.net. Got in-depth breakdowns. Got recruiting analysis, class previews, and even more guys to watch. It's almost time for 2023. That is, it feels like it's it's been a whirlwind in this 2022 cycle, but Syracuse has really made the best of it. The class now ranked 10th best in the nation after the commitment of Chris Bunch. But that's the future, John. Time to look towards the present because the ACC preseason predictions have come out. Syracuse as a team rated 7th. And Buddy Beheim makes first team All ACC. I think Beheim was an obvious pick after his Sweet 16 breakout and Syracuse making the illustrious run that it did. However, I think seventh in the conference is shortchanging what the Orange have. Yeah, I mean, you look at the teams that are ranked ahead of Syracuse. You got Virginia Tech and Louisville at five and six. I wouldn't put SU higher than five because. Duke, FSU, UNC, Virginia have great rosters coming into this season. So they, you know, they deserve to be in the top four. But I'm not really sure why SU's below Virginia Tech and Louisville and why VT's even getting five first place votes. Even Louisville got one. It's a little confusing to me. Um, but the outlook's a little bit better than it was last year. I think SU was picked somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine. So a little bit better, a little bit of an improvement there. But the preseason rankings don't really matter, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't put a ton of stock in it. I, I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. We'll see. But Bayheim getting first team honors preseason, that's definitely well deserved. The only one in the Syracuse team that I think deserved to be on that list, unless you were doing like an all ACC freshman team preseason. I think Benny Williams would make that list. So, yeah, big uh, big season coming for Bayheim. He was also added to the Jerry West Award watch list a couple of days ago, consisting of the top 20 players in college basketball. That list can change through the season, and fans actually get to vote on it. So, be sure to do that as the season goes along. It's the Jerry West Award, all right? I think Bayheim has a very solid chance of winning any sort of award when it comes to being the greatest shooter in college basketball this year. Uh, let's just sort of break down these favorites for a sec. Duke gets the number one spot, 47 of the 81 first place votes, and they have Paulo Banchero, who is the preseason ACC player and freshman of the year. Second was Keve Aluma of Virginia Tech with, let's see, he had, let's see, 16 votes, Banchero had 28, and Buddy Beheim got the most votes to be on the All-ACC team. So why can't he be ACC Player of the Year? 
Yeah. Where, where's the disconnect there? Because if you haven't seen Paulo Benchero play, dude is amazing. He's six foot ten, probably around two two forty, and he move he moves like he moves like a cat. He's super smooth, super swift, and he can do everything on the court. But he hasn't done any of it in college yet. Yeah. Buddy Bayheim has proven his worth in the toughest of moments, whether it's the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament, the biggest stages in college basketball. Uh, yeah, Banchero played in the Iverson Classic without fans. Shrug. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He hasn't played it. Like you said, he hasn't even played a single half of college basketball. I think what the media is really doing there is. You know, Buddy Beheim, like you said, came in third in that voting for preseason player of the year, and Keve Aluma was two. Banchero came in first. So I think what they're what they're really looking at here is they think that Duke's gonna win the ACC, and then in that situation you kinda have to give player of the year to the guy that's gonna lead the Blue Devils to that honor, and you would assume that's gonna be Banchero in his freshman season. Uh, so I guess what they're really saying is they don't expect Syracuse to compete or win the ACC this year. You also had Armando Baycott on there, but he's not like a Ar- he's, he's not he's not Man. Yeah, he's he's not like a game changing type player. He's Ar- a good player. Though. Armando Baycott is only on there because he tried to go to the NBA and nobody wanted him. Man. Yep. I, I'm sorry, but Armando Baycott is not going to be a good NBA player. He's only going to be good in college because he can't shoot. He cannot shoot. He, it's like watching a stiff up and down the floor. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Isaiah Wong's on there, too. Yeah. He'll, Miami's he'll, not winning the ACC. Oh, Miami's so. not coming anywhere close to scratching the ACC, but Wong will give you he'll give you 20 to 30 points on a nightly basis, and, I mean, that's why Miami's good at, for an upset every now and then. And the second team is Georgia Tech's Michael DeVoe, Kihei Clark from Virginia, Prentice Hub from Notre Dame, Mark Williams from Duke, and Wendell Moore. As well, a Blue Devil. Oh, Caleb Love and Malik Williams are on there, too. All right, that's like seven dudes. There was a three-way tie between Moore, Love, and Williams for the final spot. That makes no sense. Yeah. But at the same time, it's preseason. It's all projections. We really don't put much stock into it. Just figured we'd shoot the breeze about it for just a little bit. But Buddy Bayheim's on the first team. Syracuse is picked seventh. And by the way, the Orange Class of 2022 is looking pretty darn good. That's all we have for basketball talk after the break. We'll take it to Fizz Feedback and wrap it up here on Fizz Radio. Last lap here for Fizz Radio, Ian Unsworth and John Eads all the way till 10 o'clock here on this Saturday morning. Syracuse and Virginia Tech going in about three hours and change in Blacksburg. So, John, time for everyone's favorite segment. Fizz Feedback. Let's hit the Twitter. Let's do it. We had three Fizz Feedbacks this week, and again, you can find those at Orange Fizz on Twitter. Usually put out Tuesday, Wednesday, or or Thursday afternoon during the week, so be sure to go there to check those out. All right, first one. Syracuse sits at 3-4, 0-3 in the ACC. Did the Orange make a bowl game this season? Yes or no? No. I hate to say it, but Dino Babers has not proved to be reliable enough in these close games to get the Orange over the hump. I think they take down Virginia Tech today. We already discussed it on the show. Uh, And I think they get one more, whether it's Louisville, whether Pitt comes to the Dome and has a bad day, maybe Boston College falters. I I think they get one more, but it's just not enough. This team is not consistent enough. One more, nothing more. Fizz Nation agrees. 68% of the votes say no, 32% yes. All right, number two. Sean Tucker, Cody Roscoe, and Deuce Chestnut all earned midseason All-American honors from various outlets. Who is the most likely to potentially join them at the end of the season? Is it Mikel Jones, Garrett Williams, or Matthew Bergeron? 
It has to be Mikael Jones. The dude is all over the place. Like, I mean, you can't leave that guy off of off of any sort of rankings. It shows out on film. It shows out on the stat sheet, and he leads SU in more ways than one. Obvious choice. I agree with you, and so does Fizz Nation. Seventy nine percent of the votes going to Mikael Jones. Eighteen percent to Garrett Williams, and three percent to Matthew Bergeron. All right, two two for two. Good start. Let's run number three here. See if you finish one hundred percent. All right, put this one out. Pretty recently, how would you grade SU Hoops' 2022 class following the commitment of four-star Chris Bunch? A, B, C, or if you have another grade letter, I don't think you will. Let me know. Well, I, I'm, I'm like in the B-plus range right now, so I guess that's a B, but I'm, I'm thinking B-plus. I'm on the very optimistic side for this class. If they had a five-star, if they had a guy that really was top 50 jumping off the rankings, it'd be an A. But just the fact that they brought in five guys, first of all, five guys is, is a haul within itself, and you just have more chances to hit on that star player or that player that's a real difference maker at the end of the day. So I'll give it a B plus, uh, B, I guess. I would have done A minus B plus kind of things on Twitter, but we only have four slots for yeah. polls, so I had to go A, B, C. So this one was really close, but A was the, was the majority sentiment. Huh. 48% of the votes, B got 46%, C got 4%. Uh, we got 2% for comment below, but we didn't get any comments. So, oh, oh, all right. I mean, yeah. hey, man, maybe those they went to one of those schools where you can't get Fs. You, have you ever heard of those schools before? Like, they, they won't give you an F because it's something, it's like demoralizing, but then they give you an E instead, and you're like, ah, it's still yeah. a bad grade. I think my school had that, but luckily I was never in that uh, position. So, John Eads and I were not E students. Let's just put it that nope. way. No, not F either. Not not F either. I mean, the, the some of the uh, the some of the calc classes in college gave me a. Actually, no, it was stats. The stats classes in college gave me a run for my money. But most of the time, we we were on the straight and narrow when it comes to the academics. John, one more time, because we got about thirty seconds left. Give me your score prediction if you didn't catch the beginning of the show and and why Syracuse wins or loses. Syracuse wins twenty three to twenty. I think the defense has another tremendous game and just like has been the been the talk of the season, the offense does just enough to win the game. Sean Tucker goes over one fifty. Garrett Schrader goes over hundred, and SU wins a tight one in Blacksburg. Same thing here. I got Syracuse twenty to thirteen. The SU defense just too good, and Sean Tucker just too special. That'll do it for Fizz Radio for John Eads. I'm Ian Unsworth. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a good day and go on.